speak to us. Um, and in fact, I was going to, I'll give you a couple of seconds to prepare. I'm going to do the Bible reading. Is it okay if I ask you some questions about yourself, Dan? Because it'd be nice for people to know, know a bit. This is a great reading. This is a great hymn of praise. And it's in the book of Philippians, letter of Philippians. And it's in chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verse 5 to verse 11. If you've got a Bible in front of you, get out and look at this and keep it before you the whole time. This is magnificent. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, page 179 in the church Bible. And it begins, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you for your word, Lord. Amen. Dan, I just thought it would be nice for you to, to meet these nice people before you, you speak to them to, to meet yeah. you a little bit. That's great. Good evening. <laughs> now, you're no stranger to Motley, are you? No. Can you just tell us why? Not? Yes. Um, well, 30 years ago, my husband came as the senior pastor here, so um, I came with him, <laughs> as you do. And at that point, I remember people said, gosh, you're so young. They don't say that anymore. <laughs> and what is it you're doing now? Um, I'm now um, a regional minister in the East Midlands, which means I, um, uh, we have 155-ish churches who we try and encourage in mission, and uh, we troubleshoot, we look after them, and just try and enable them to be all that God would have them be. And I am um, part of the Baptist uh, Together leadership team, so meet with the national team for uh, reflecting on leadership issues about once a month for a couple of days. Okay. And, and- I mean, we're a congregation here who love God, who want to support the people who come and, and join us. What, what should we pray for as a church for you? Um, oh, that's a really good question. Um, I go into so many situations, and um, I, I'm, I find it quite easy to be bold, and I think I would pray for wisdom in that boldness, um, because sometimes truth can be quite cruel, and actually to speak the truth in love and grace so that people can hear it and go forward seems to me to be more of my greatest need in all of this. Thanks, Diane. Okay. We're looking forward to hearing what God has given you to say. Thank to you. Thanks. Okay. Well, it is, it is lovely to be here and uh, had a great time this morning. I enjoyed myself, so I hope um, others did too. It's a little disconcerting for a preacher to see so many people here from morning services who come again and the passage is the same. But I suppose I should be encouraged by that, not discouraged. 
Um, and, and we uh, are looking at uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. And um, the theme of in, in the series that you're looking at is joy in serving. Um, and I didn't realize that till after I'd come up with the theme, work your way down the ladder. But actually, it, it's all saying the same thing. That actually, if you want to find real joy in serving God, in being the people of God, in working together to build the kingdom and getting really excited about all that God's doing, then you've got to work your way down the ladder. Because as I uh, thought about this, I thought, you know, the thing is, you may win the rat race, but you're still a rat. And God's got something better for you than being a rat. And you may climb your way all up the ladder because climbing up the ladder may seem to be the most important thing. But when you get to the top of that ladder, you will find it's leaning, leaning against the wrong wall. And it's not where you want to be at all. And so what does Philippians chapter 2 have to say to us about working our way down the ladder? In my version, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude as Jesus. And I suppose my first question is, do you have an attitude problem? And, uh, do you know, it's, it is a delight to be here to realize that the, the service, the worship, has been led by young adults and you've been entrusted with it. What a great attitude someone's got who's saying, yeah, let them do it. And I wish I saw that in all our churches. And you've done a great, in our church, you've done a great job. But what is our attitude to each other? What is our attitude when it's not quite our taste and it's not exciting enough? Or what's our attitude when it's a bit noisy and the drums get a bit excited? Is our attitude that of Christ Jesus? Or is it grumpy or obstructive or arrogant? Paul says you should mimic Jesus. Act like you are at the bottom of the ladder, not the top. And you know, this is a, a message for all of us. For wherever we are on the Christian journey, whatever our discipleship, we always have a great deal to learn from Jesus himself. And you see, Paul is writing, as you will have known if you've journeyed through Philippians, he's writing to a very happy church. He's writing to a good church. He's writing to a church that actually on the whole has got a lot of things right. Which sounds a bit like Muttley Baptist Church to me from what I've seen today. There's a lot of things that are right. And yet, always there is the potential to get some very big things wrong, to become unchristlike, to forget what it is really all about. It's very easy to think that it's about putting on a great performance, filling the church to the gills so it's absolutely packed and all of those things are great. But actually, unless we are sharing the love of Christ, really being Christ to each other, that's not really what it's about. But before we get on to that, another point to make to you is this is amazing, breathtaking poetry, as John has, is it John has already said? Uh, and as one person put it, he said, it is the Mount Everest of passages about Jesus. And, and there's a mountain peak there that may or may not be Mount Everest, but we won't fall out of. Nobody this morning told me it wasn't, so I'm guessing it is. Um, because it does, it takes us to the very heights of who Jesus is. It tells us amazing things about him, about how the eternal Son of God stepped out of eternity into time and became a human being. 
a pattern that God intended us all to be like. And in these small, short verses, in this hymn that was probably sung by the early church, Paul captures some of the most amazing truths that we maybe have ever confronted. But it is all a bit upside down. If you know anything about Lewis Carroll and and through the looking glass, you will know that um, Alice goes through the looking glass and she discovers a world, world that works back to front. She tries to go forward and goes back. She tries to go left and goes right. She tries to go fast and goes slow. And it doesn't make any sense to her. It all seems to be topsy-turvy. But do you know that's what Paul is trying to say in these verses? He's trying to say that actually the world that God has for us actually works in many ways in opposite ways to the culture in which we live, to the principles by which our society is often governed. And he says, look, to be blessed... You need to be a blessing to others. To receive love, you need to give love. To be honored, you need first to be humble. To truly live, you have to die to yourself. To gain the unseen, you have to let go of the seen. To receive, you must first give. To save your life, you must lose it. To lead, you need to be a servant. To be first is to be last. Paul explains The only way up is down. If you want to really go up the ladder with God, then you've got to go right to the bottom if you want to find what God wants you to be and to do. And and through this little letter, Paul arrives at this amazing crescendo in chapter 2 where he actually just celebrates the greatness of who Jesus is and says, be like him. Be like Jesus. We're not there yet. We can go back a bit. Thank you. That's great. (laughs) Um, Because that is what matters more than anything. And maybe this is the best passage that there is to actually to defend who Jesus is. Because who Jesus is is up for debate and question in many places. And yet this suggests to us the real Jesus is the one who is portrayed in this passage. And he says three things about who Jesus is. First of all, he says Jesus is the one who always existed. Thank you. Jesus always existing. Now you have a beginning and an end. I have a beginning and an end. But actually Jesus has always existed. Always been God. Existed before the world began. In the beginning was the word, John's Gospel starts with. And the word is Jesus. In the beginning, that before anything was, Jesus has always been, always existing. We can't grasp that because our minds can't take it in. But actually, Jesus not only always existed, he's always been God, always had the character of God, always been God himself in the very nature of God. The word here for Jesus being in the form of God is is morph. I quite like that. He morphed. But uh, that word actually is saying he, has, he, he, he is God himself. And, and the word morph was also used in the Roman world for um, actually the insignia of the emperor. So the emperor had a signet ring or he had his stamp and the, they'd have the hot wax and the emperor would press his image into it and they would know 
that whatever was uh, covered with this was truly authentically from the emperor. Jesus is the morph of God. He is truly, authentically God himself. That's the astonishing thing that Paul is saying. That Jesus and the Father are one, and Jesus has come to reveal the Father. Jesus is the express image of God. Jesus always existed, and that's what makes the next point even more amazing. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus had all the rights of heaven and glory. He is God. He had the power. He had the um, authority. And yet he emptied himself. He did not regard equality with a God a, th a thing to be held on to. He possessed it, but he said, actually, I will let it all go for the sake of God's purposes being fulfilled. For the sake of my purposes to come into being, I will let go of all the glory and honor that is mine. And he emptied himself. He self-sacrificed. He became God in a body. And that is astounding, unfathomable. How could that be that God would so limit himself and so humble himself? And he goes further. He took the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of men, chapter 2 and verse 7. He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He became a slave or a bonded worker. In other words, Jesus didn't just become human. He became the lowest of the low human. He became a slave. We were hearing this morning about trafficked people, and Jesus took on that role. He was owned by someone. It was as if he was simply pouring himself out for our sakes, like a slave. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. It seems that nothing could be quite as fantastic as the incarnation, that Jesus would give up all the glory of heaven and humble himself to die on a cross for us. But that's what he did. And even more staggering is the Apostle Paul then says, you go and be like that. You go and be the same. You imitate Christ. Do you know what this means? This means that no matter what you go through, no matter how low you may get, you can never sink so far that Jesus hasn't been there. You can never go so low that Jesus didn't fall further. He can identify with you in any situation, no matter how hard, whether it is poverty, loneliness, homelessness, rejection, you name it, he will understand it. And as you come in your particular need or pain or emptiness or whatever, you come to Jesus knowing that he sympathizes and he understands and he wants to build you up so that you might know him. So Jesus existed, Jesus emptied himself, and Jesus became obedient to death. And perhaps chapter 2 and verse 8 is the bottom rung of the ladder. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You can't get much lower 
than a criminal's death. Beaten and scourged, humbling himself. Will you note here that actually Jesus willingly humbled himself. He wasn't humbled, he actually took that role. We find that so difficult, don't we? Our pride and our sense of self-importance keeps coming up to the surface and we find it so hard to take the bottom rung. But Jesus did it. He submitted to even death on a cross. And maybe it wasn't the physical suffering of the cross that was the hardest, tough as that would have been, excruciating as it would have been, torture as it would have been. Scripture tells us that it was more likely it was the abandonment, it was the isolation, it was the loneliness, it was the fact that in taking the sin of the world on himself, he was separated from his father. The guilt was a terrible burden for our Lord to bear, and yet he humbled himself and he carried it. The price that Jesus paid was staggering. And maybe at times we should just stop and reflect on this passage and be overwhelmed by all that this great God has accomplished for us. Remembering that the only way up is to go down. And then I want to just say three things about a humble king. First of all, it was shocking. And we've lost that ability to be shocked by Jesus because we know the story is too well, it's too familiar. And yet it was absolutely shocking. We like our heroes to be strong and powerful. I used Jeremy Clarkson as an example this morning, which probably isn't a very good one. I'm not quite sure who the best example today of a great hero is, really. And we probably all have our different ideas. But in the first century, the great hero was uh, Alexander the Great from three centuries earlier, who had actually uh, won huge military victories won lots of campaigns, actually conquered lots of lands. And he was the conquering hero who came back into town on a white charger showing how great he was. Or more closer to the time when Paul wrote, maybe it was Augustus, the emperor, who had also had lots of military victories and won lots of battles. And so it was shocking that Jesus came as a humble king how completely countercultural it was to learn that the Messiah was to be humbled. Jesus couldn't claim the global dominance, the military power and, uh, of Augustus or Alexander. Oh yes, Jesus could have claimed power and divine uh, status, but he gave all that up. And he gives a picture of leadership here, godly leadership. Godly living, which is against all that the people of Paul's day when he wrote this would have believed in. And actually, probably what most of us today think about in leadership as well. How many of us would vote for a politician as prime minister who actually was not popular who didn't somehow say the things we wanted to hear, who challenged us at every point, who said, actually, I'm not going to make life easier for you. I want you to give more away. I don't want you to claim more for yourself and make life easier for you. I want you to serve, and in serving, find my presence. So he was a humble king, and that was shocking. And then he was a humble king as an example. 
And he washed people's feet. And do we like the idea of our leaders or ourselves serving in such a way? I mean, they employed slaves to wash feet in those days. Why would the king do it? And we might say, God, I'm not sure I want to do the 21st century equivalent of washing feet. And God says, I want you to follow my example. I want you to do it. What does that mean for you? Jesus came to earth fully God and fully human. He didn't stop being God, but he set himself to live as a human being. A bit like the secret millionaire who actually could live in luxury in a penthouse with a Rolls Royce and everything, but actually goes and lives in the poorest side of town, in a room that's a bit cold and leaky, a bit like student accommodation, I expect, round here, I don't know. Sorry, that wasn't intended. That was intended to identify with you and make you feel good that you're already humbled. But, uh... And so the secret millionaire discovers what real life is like. But Jesus did this mega, mega times. He didn't use his power to serve himself. He gave it all up, denied himself. And that is, was his calling. And that's what we are called to follow. I wonder if you ever think about, can this really be true? That Jesus, the Son of God, really came? Isn't it too good to be true? That God would humble himself so much for my sake. That God would give up all the glory of heaven and die on a cross for me. Isn't the story of the gospel such good news that it's really hard at times to believe? Do you know, Paul wrote this less than 30 years, or he quoted it less than 30 years after Jesus uh, uh, he had died. It was very real. And I know some of you are very young, and 30 years seems like an eternity. For those of us who are getting on a bit, I'm thinking it was 30 years ago I first came to this church, and it's gone in a flash. And you know, nobody would ever say of uh, the senior minister then, or perhaps he was a god, even though Derek wasn't bad, he did all right. But we wouldn't make that mistake, would we? And nobody would make the mistake about John Lennon. He died about 35 years ago. And for a bit, people thought, oh, yeah, he was a great man. Was he special? But no, he was just an entertainer and a great songwriter and said some fairly interesting things. Or even Elvis Presley. I mean, yes, I know some people think he's coming back, but they really have lost the plot. Nobody really thinks that they're anything other than just human beings. You see, there was about the quality and life of Jesus Christ that meant that in less than 30 years, the church was singing songs. In fact, after just a week after his death, they knew Jesus was God. That the good news really was the most amazing good news ever to be heard. And we are to follow this good news. We are to follow Jesus in sacrifice. We, are need to, we need to follow all that he is. And then a humble king who brings glory to God. And that's just an amazing thought for me. I think we think as church that we will bring most glory to God by having mega churches and huge impacts and doing great things and being seen as a, a marketing force and a powerful force much greater than McDonald's or Coca-Cola or anything else. 
And sometimes we follow all the marketing principles of the world. And in so doing, we sell our souls down the river. Because that's not what it's about. Jesus brought the greatest glory to God by humbling himself, sacrificing himself, giving everything up, and dying on a cross and being a servant. And that is what God calls us to do. There is great glory in humility, in imitating God's model of humility in Christ. Have this attitude as Christ did. Be, follow his example, being, be all that he is. Of course, living up to the attitude of Christ is not easy. We live in a culture that tells us that it's great to have lots of qualifications and you're a better person if you are. And there's nothing wrong with being gifted and qualified as long as you know that actually it's God who's given it to you and actually it's not deserving of it yourself. It's great to be actually able to do things, to change the world for the sake of Jesus, but it's only God in you that enables you to do it. It's only in humility that we can really bring glory to God. It's only by actually being willing to be servant-hearted and faithful that we really follow all that God wishes us to do. So the only way, really, to follow Christ is to take steps down to the bottom, following him as he went down and served his Father in heaven. According to C.S. Lewis, the first step of humility is to realize that you're proud. If you immediately sit there saying, I'm not proud, then you probably are. But it's a catch-22, isn't it? If we're humble, then we know it. If we're proud, then we find it difficult to acknowledge it. The second step is then to humble yourself before. So firstly, to acknowledge to yourself that you have a problem with humility. And the second step is to humble yourself before God, to confess your failure and your need of him every day because yourself keeps getting in the way of being all that God wants. And then the final step is to have daily fellowship with Christ, to say, I can't do this without you. Because every day the you keeps popping up and getting in the way of what God wants to do. A student in a Bible college was uh, complaining about the men's bathrooms they were unclean. Well, I suddenly had some thoughts in my mind, but probably best not to go there. And, and he complained and he, he said to the principal, it's not good enough. Surely the bathroom should be better than this. And the principal said, yes, of course they should. I'll make sure it's dealt with. And an hour later, the student saw that the bathrooms were being cleaned. But they were being cleaned by the principal. And he was chastened and he thought, if I saw the problem, I should have served and sorted out the problem. The principal was the humble man who got on and did it. Do you want to be blessed by God? Do you want to experience joy in serving? Do you want to know what it means to have all the fullness of Christ? Humble yourself, serve, love, pour yourself out for others. Make your attitude like that of Jesus Christ. So few of us have taken on the real self-giving of Christ as a model for Christian behavior. We're so readily wanting to air our opinions, to put other people right, to sort them out. Seeing the, the speck in their eye 
forgetting about the plank in our own. There are very few of us who follow the self-sacrifice of Mother Teresa or those who give up so much for the sake of the kingdom of God. We sing about it a lot. We talk about it. Actually, I think we aspire to it, but we so rarely set our wills to be uh, in tune with God. Never will you be as filled with God's presence, wonder and love than when you've given up something of yourself to make room for him. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, Jesus said. Whoever wants to be first must be uh, your slave. Give of yourself, lose yourself for the sake of the gospel. Become a servant of Jesus Christ. So I hope you've got it by now. The only way is down. You know all about Towie. The only way is Essex, which is really all about the only way is up. Get your fast car, get your sleek girlfriend or boyfriend, travel the world, do this, do that, do that. And it all looks very shiny and very glossy. But it's a bit superficial. And it's not what it's all about. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11 is saying to us, the only way is down. Imitate Christ, not just for the sake of being hard on yourself. That's not what it's about. It's about following in the master's footsteps, living a life of love. If you understand just how great Jesus is, then keep on behaving and living as he did. Look to Jesus and imitate him. To look at him is to look to the one who is altogether lovely, altogether able to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Build your life on the example of Christ. The story is told of uh, the great temple of Amenophis III. And uh, it was excavated. It was an Egyptian temple and uh, very tall, 80 feet high, and and columns and things. And and over time, the sand had all blown in, and and you wouldn't know it was there at all. And then the archaeologists came in, and they excavated it, removed all the sand. And and there were these enormous, huge pillars uh, uh, that were, um, let me get the dimensions right, what were they? Six feet in diameter on one of the columns. So they were large things. And when they excavated on top of one of the columns, was a little tiny house. Because a farmer in the 19th century, before it had all been excavated, was looking for somewhere to build his house. And he found this bit of rock, and he thought, I'll build my house on that. And when the archaeologists had taken away all the sands, all the stuff that the sandstorms had built, brought in, there was this little house perched on top of an 80-foot column. But that farmer had got it right. In all the shifting sands of life, he had found a rock on which to build his house and his home and his life. And this passage is saying to us, in all the shifting sands of life, when you're being pushed to be someone, to climb the ladder, to be the best you can be, you need that rock who is Jesus, who humbled himself was obedient to death on a cross, emptied himself even though he had always existed as God. That's the example that we need to follow. That is the rock that will never fail. That is the rock that will hold us, protect us and keep us. 
Follow Christ. Follow his example. Be humble, be obedient, be unselfish. Don't have an attitude problem. If you need an attitude adjustment, come to Jesus. Know his power transforming and changing you, that you might be serving joyfully and filled to the brim with his presence. Let's pray together. Lord, we say again, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus gave up all the glory of heaven to face abandonment on our behalf. We are thankful. We confess to you, loving God, that we find it so difficult to humble, to be humble. So readily our self gets in the way, our self-absorption, our self indulgence and we offer ourselves to you again saying please lord by your spirit help us to be the people that you want us to be help us to climb down the ladder that we might bring glory and honor to you and know your presence in jesus name amen